No, that's all right. All right, everybody else, I want to invite you to take out a copy of God's Word with me and open it to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Jesus. Acts chapter 6. All right, so I don't think the words are going to be on the screen, but we do have Bibles in the pews, and if you have a phone, you can open up to Acts chapter 6. We're using the Christian Standard Bible for our Sunday mornings right now, so Christian Standard Bible, if you want to be in the same place. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse uh, 34. I want to tell you uh, what's happening right now. Peter and a man named Cornelius have simultaneous visions from God. They're in separate places. They're about 30 miles apart. Peter, who's a born-again believer and a Jew, has a vision during which God tells him that he needs to be, one, he, he should be eating unclean food, or he can do that, but more importantly, that Peter is called by God to share the gospel with the Gentile people, that Jesus came not just for Jews, but for Jews and Gentiles, in fact, for the whole world. Simultaneously, Cornelius, a Gentile soldier, a centurion, over a hundred people, has a vision from God. In this vision, he hears God tell him, send uh, some men over uh, to Joppa, to this place. There's a man named Simon there. He's Simon or Peter, staying in a house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. He's got a message for you. So Cornelius sends his men, three of them, to Joppa from Caesarea, uh, to go and get this guy he's never met named Peter to get him to, to persuade him to come back to Caesarea so he could hear a message. Peter hears from God. God tells him, I want you to get up. I want you to go to the gate. There's men there. I want you to follow them, and I want you to tell them the message. Peter gets up, follows the Lord's obedience. He finds himself in the house of a Gentile named Cornelius in Caesarea, a city full of Gentiles and pagan worship and all kinds of horrific things. Peter's there with a message on his heart from God about Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And that's where we find ourselves today. The first thing we're going to learn in our text today in verses 34 and 35 is that God loves everyone. God loves everyone. Now listen, it's easy for us to say amen to that, right? Because we like that. Because we're part of everyone, right? I'm glad God loves me. Are you glad that God loves you? Right? Okay. The problem or the trouble for us is we get into understanding that God even loves our enemies. And that's what we're going to talk about here. Peter begins to speak, verse 34. Now truly I understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter utters two revolutionary truths in this text. First, he says God doesn't show favoritism or partiality. God doesn't treat one person better than another. God doesn't discriminate on the basis of ethnicity. He desires for all people everywhere to hear the gospel, to repent of their sin, and to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is probably difficult for us to truly understand the degree of the, the radical statement that Peter's making here, but what Peter is saying in this moment is radical. 
Peter is declaring that all people everywhere can have a unique relationship with God that before that time, really they believed only Jews could have. That Jesus came to open the gate of salvation for all people everywhere, and God does in fact love all people everywhere. And this is a radical departure from Jewish tradition. And it would take the Jewish Christians, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, some time before they really understood what was happening. And eventually they would understand, and they would praise God for his grace and mercy on all people. God originally intended for the Jews, his chosen people, to be a light to the world, in fact. He intended for people to see the relationship that they had with him, and also to come to a relationship with him through the law that he handed down to Moses and the people. What we learn here is in fact very important for our culture today as it was then. That no one is too far from Jesus to be saved. That no one has committed too many sins to be forgiven by God. That no one is unloved by our Father in heaven. The question I have for you, is there someone in your life who needs Jesus, but for one reason or another you haven't shared with him or her because you feel like that person is helpless, hopeless? That person at work who gossips about you behind your back? That relative who... Maybe for one reason or another you haven't talked to in years. The person next door who never has anything nice to say to you. Those people are loved by God. Those people desperately need to hear the gospel and be saved. And no matter how nasty they are to you or to other people, they're never too far from Jesus to hear, to repent, and to be forgiven. The second thing that Peter says is that everyone who responds to his grace by faith is acceptable to God. Peter's next statement is a huge deal in two ways. The first way is what the the church in Jerusalem, the, the early Christian church that began in Jerusalem, what they eventually figured out is you don't need to become a Jew to be saved and have a relationship with God through Jesus. See, originally they thought, okay, so to be born again, to be acceptable to God, you first need to follow the law, and then through that you receive Jesus as the Messiah. What they ultimately would learn is that Jesus came and fulfilled the law. Jesus came and provided a way for us to have a relationship with God through him and through the blood that he shed on the cross. The, 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 the curtain was ripped in two. We were escorted into the presence of God by Jesus, our Savior. And so what they learned was they no longer needed to fulfill the law to be saved. That you could come to God through a relationship with Jesus. That's also important for you and I. Those who respond by faith to whatever parts of God's truth they receive will have increasing opportunities to more of God's truth. What we learn from the Word of God is that The Holy Spirit works on the hearts of people well before you ever enter a conversation with them. God is probably already working on people that you know. God's Holy Spirit is probably already drawing people to himself. We don't know who that is. 
It could be the cranky neighbor. It could be the gossiping coworker. It could be someone right now who is, is fighting for ISIS, who one day will be radically saved. You know, the biggest movement of the Christian church right now in the world is in Iran. People are being saved by the thousands there. People are also being murdering, murdered by the thousands there for their faith in Jesus. People who were once fighting against the Christian faith are being saved. As long as someone has breath in their lungs and a heartbeat, as long as they still live, they can be saved by Jesus. No one is too far from him to be saved. I had someone come to my office a little while back, and I, this guy wanted you know, some counsel about some changes in his life, and so we, we met, and we were chatting, and, and I said, you know, at the end, I said, I just really feel like, you know, we haven't talked about the most important thing that we need to talk about, and he's like, well, what's that? I said, well, all this stuff that we talk about, you know, you can change these things in your life, but it's not going to change your life. It might change your immediate circumstance, but it's not going to change your life. Only Jesus can change your life, and he goes, okay, and he was kind of smiling, and I'm like, I'm wondering what's going on in his head right now, right? And so I said, I want to tell you about how you can follow Jesus. Would you like to hear about that? Yes, I would. I'm like, wow, he's really exuberant about that. I'm, in my heart, you know, in my, my faithless at times heart, I'm thinking, oh, he's, he's ready to have an argument about this. And I, and I shared the gospel. I said, this is what Jesus did for us. And, and I talked about our sin, and I talked about what Jesus did on the cross and how he rose again. And, then, and I gave him the invitation. I said, I said, so God calls us to turn from our sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, all of us have to make that decision to do that. Would you like to do that today? And I asked that question almost expecting in my heart, in my head, for him to be like, well, I just want to think some more about it. I want to pray about it. You know, I'm not really ready for that. And he looked right at me and said, yes, I would. Like, wait, what? Yes, you would. You, you'd like to do that today? Yes, I want to do that today. I, I've been looking for a purpose. I've been looking for a way to have a relationship with God, and you just told me it wasn't. I want to do that today. And he did it. He did it that day in my office. Because God's Spirit had already been working in his heart through his circumstances. He'd been drawing him. I had the, just the blessing, the opportunity to tell him about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, he's the one that did the heavy, heavy lifting. And he was saved that day in my office. You see, there's, there's people in your life, just like what's happening right here in this experience between Peter and Cornelius and Cornelius' household, that the Holy Spirit's already working in their heart before you ever even entered the picture. You know, there's ways for us to to find out if God's already working in someone's life. There's questions you can ask. Like, do you ever think about spiritual things? Most people do, because God put it in our hearts to think about Him. Or how about this question? What do you think about God? Has anybody ever told you about Jesus? We make the mistake oftentimes, church, of believing that everybody's already heard about Jesus. You know, a lot of people have probably heard the gospel with their ears, but it's not penetrated their heart yet. And I've had people with whom I've shared the gospel maybe five, ten times. Number 11, I share the gospel, they get saved. 
Then they tell me, why didn't you ever tell me about this before? That's crazy. Well, it wasn't time for them. I'm sure glad I was faithful and shared number 11. But we never know what, what the Holy Spirit's doing in the hearts of people. And so we need to share the gospel assuming that God is working in their heart, that the Holy Spirit has gone in in front of us, and then trust him with the results. Well, why should we even care about telling other people about Jesus? Why should we tell people the gospel? Because it changed our lives, right? Did the gospel radically change your life? Has Jesus done amazing things in your life since you met and began walking with him? The gospel message and what comes after that in a relationship with Jesus has the power to radically change every life, every single life. Not just your life or my life, every single life because the gospel is real. And the change that comes from a repentant sinner trusting in Jesus is real. How do I know that? Well, let's look at the text. Peter goes on now to share this message with Cornelius. Remember, Cornelius and his family, they're God-fearers who have not yet heard the gospel and, and believed in Jesus as Savior. So they're sort of on the edge. The Holy Spirit's brought them all the way to the door, and they just want more of God. So God sends them Peter so Peter can tell them the rest of the story, so Peter can share the gospel with them. So Peter continues. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So, originally, the message of the gospel came to the Jews through Jesus, right? Jesus lived primarily among the Jews. He ministered primarily among the Jews. So, Jesus came first to the Jews. Now, it says there that the gospel is a message of peace, and that's important. Because the world could use some peace, right? We all know that's true. What kind of peace does the gospel message bring into the heart of a believer? First, it brings, most importantly, peace with God. We are, because of our sin, in a broken relationship with God. We're not walking with Him. We, we were not obeying Him. We were not pleasing Him. We were unrighteous sinners. Our relationship with Him was broken. Jesus came to reconcile us with God. So we have peace in our hearts because we were created to walk with God and Jesus reconciled our relationship with God. So we have peace from that. We have peace as people in life because our purpose for living is restored. Right? Our purpose, as we've taught before here in this church, our purpose is to worship and glorify God. That's why we exist. That's why all people exist. That's why creation exists. Well, when we're broken in our sin and separated from God, we're not fulfilling our purpose. So all people apart from Christ are looking for purpose. And we turn to all kinds of stuff aside from Jesus to fulfill that purpose. Drugs and alcohol and money and, and relationships and, and careers. And none of those things fulfill the purpose. And so we always look for the next best thing. Well, when we meet Jesus, that peace overwhelms us and the indwelling Holy Spirit brings a peace because we fulfill our purpose for living. Finally, Jesus provides a peace that unifies through the indwelling Holy Spirit us with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're united in this church. We fix broken relationships. We right wrongs. And we enjoy the peace that comes from that. So Peter continues. 
He says, you know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good things, healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. So Peter knows that Cornelius and his family know about this man, Jesus. He says, you know all about Jesus. You know what he did. You know who he healed. You know how he did that. You know that he's from God and that he had this unique power and authority through the, the Holy Spirit to do the work of God. These were signs of Jesus and his identity as the Messiah. So now the message that Cornelius and his family needed to hear, all of it wrapped up here beginning in verse 39. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So Peter and the six Christian men, the, the Christian Jews who traveled with him from Joppa, are witnesses to the power of Jesus. Peter is an eyewitness of Jesus' gospel ministry, and he presents this gospel with authority. The verses here in verses 39 and 43 contain the gospel, that Jesus came from God, that he died on the cross for an atonement, as an atonement for our sins, that he didn't stay dead, but that God raised him up on the third day, that many witnesses saw Jesus when he was alive, after he was dead, and that this Jesus provides salvation from sin for all who repent and believe in him as their Savior. Now, church, Peter was an apostle, and he was one of the most important leaders in the Christian church. Think of all the things that Peter could have been doing rather than sitting there in Caesarea in Cornelius' house. I mean, think of the, the movements that are happening in Samaria uh, throughout Palestine. Even think of the Ethiopian eunuch who had heard and received the gospel and gone home. I mean, surely there were better places for Peter to be than in this house of this, this Roman soldier. There's places I would rather be than there. And yet, here he is, sitting in Cornelius' house, telling him about Jesus and about how Jesus can change their lives. Listen, nothing is ever more important in the ministry of the gospel than to tell people about Jesus. That's why we do the ministry that we do so that people could hear the gospel, have an opportunity to repent of their sin, and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's why we're on this earth. That's why when we're saved, we don't immediately go to be with Jesus in heaven. It's so that we can tell people about him, so people would have the opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved. That's our mission. That's the movement that we are a part of here on this earth. When someone dies... Only one thing will matter. The moment after their death, only one thing will matter. 
Did they or did they not repent of their sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior? That's the only thing that will matter in that moment after death. You can dig a thousand wells in Africa. You can help every single neighbor on your block. You can be a really, really, really good person. But if you die without Christ, you will go to hell for eternity. But it doesn't have to be that way. And that's why we tell people about Jesus. So they can have an opportunity to hear the gospel. So they can have an opportunity to repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, we want to do those other things. We want to dig wells so that people have water. We don't do those good works to be saved. We do those good works so that people will see that and give glory to God in heaven so that perhaps through that work we'll have an opportunity to share the gospel. So for the believer, it is faith plus good works. Please the Lord. But it is our faith in Jesus that saves us. And that's why Peter was on the backside of nowhere sharing the gospel with Cornelius when he could have been in a hundred places that probably looked more fruitful. He did, in fact, in this gospel event, open the door for all Gentiles everywhere to hear the gospel and be saved. This is the event. Everything turned the corner from here. After this, the, the church in Jerusalem and the leaders of the churches around Jerusalem, their eyes were opened and they recognized, oh, Jesus came for everybody. Oh, this is why Jesus said we're going to go to the ends of the earth. Not just to, to find that one Jewish brother who's way over here. It's to find all of the lost people who would repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. The early church and, and believers in every generation have been passionate about sharing the gospel. They've given their careers, their families, they've given their lives for the gospel because they believe in their heart of hearts that the gospel changes things. That people can be radically changed by the gospel. I want to tell you about Bernard Nathanson. This comes from Chuck Colson's book, How, How Now Shall We Live? And it's a great book. You should read it. He's passed away, but How Now Shall We Then Live is, is an apologetic book about living your faith in, in a countercultural way um, according to the word. And in, in this book, Chuck Colson writes about Bernard Nathanson. Bernard Nathanson was one of the pioneers for abortion in the United States. He was a physician. Uh, he in his lifetime, personally oversaw the abortion of over 75,000 babies. That's a city that he murdered. And this is his own testimony. He one time convinced his girlfriend to have an abortion, and then he performed an abortion of his own child, Bernard Nathanson. Then Bernard Nathanson saw a picture of a baby in a womb through an ultrasound. He saw that baby. He saw that baby breathing, moving, living. Simultaneously, Chuck Colson and others began to share the gospel with him and to tell him about Jesus. 
And during that time, the Holy Spirit started to work in his heart. He was at that time uh, an alcoholic, jumping from relationship to relationship, causing all kinds of havoc at the same time his day job was murdering babies. That's what that guy did. And then he heard the gospel. And God got a hold of his heart. And Bernard Nathanson got saved. And then he took it upon himself to do everything that he could to end the brutal activity of abortion in the United States. He's the one that made the film called The Silent Scream, if you've never heard that. It's not something for your kids to watch, probably. But it is a film, is a video of an abortion, of a baby being aborted. And they've used that film, uh, of course, Pop culture doesn't want us to know about that. They do everything they can to take it off the market. But they've used that to lead people away from having abortions. And now we take offerings every year to give to ministries that buy ultrasounds. Because when a lady or a lady and a man see an ultrasound, they're far less likely to have an abortion. Now, if you were to meet Bernard Nathanson on the street before he was a Christian, if anybody looked like they were too far gone, it would be him, right? If anybody was more undeserving of hearing the gospel, it would be him. Well, church, I have to tell you that all of us are him. Maybe we haven't done those horrific deeds. But all of us in the eyes of God are in equal amount of need of his grace and mercy. And someone shared the gospel with this guy, and he got saved. And he lived his life for Jesus. And he did everything he could to reverse the horrific effects of legal abortion in the United States. It reminds me to tell you all to please pray for the people in Texas as well. And may other states have the courage to step forward and eliminate the egregious, horrific sin of abortion in the United States. The gospel has the power... The gospel has the power to change every single life. Every single life. If we believe that, we should recognize that person in our life who needs to hear it most. Because all of us were in equal need of God's grace. None of us were good enough. None of us earned it. None of us deserved it. It was by God's grace and through the obedience of some brother or sister in Christ that we heard the gospel and we were saved. The gospel has the power to change lives. Now, let's see what happens next as, as uh, Peter continues to share the gospel because this is pretty awesome. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard him speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to stay for a few days. This is awesome. What we see is the consequence of a few people being obedient to God and just taking simple steps of obedience. Up to this point, no one did anything that was really radical in nature. They literally just did what God asked them to do one step at a time. 
And that one step at a time brought everybody together in Cornelius' home. Peter was faithful to take one more step of obedience and to share the gospel. Now, what's amazing in this moment is that Peter never asked them if they would like to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. As he's sharing the gospel, these folks are believing the gospel. They're saved while Peter's preaching, which is evident by their baptism in the Holy Spirit, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then it's evident by them speaking in tongues, declaring the greatness of God. So Peter didn't even invite them to be saved. They were believing it. They were believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior. They were saved in that moment. The Holy Spirit falls on them and they speak in tongues as evidence to Peter that God desired to save Gentiles in the same complete way that he also desired to save the Jews. One scholar explains this event, writing, Always the demonstration of the Spirit serves a single purpose, to show that the advance in witness comes directly from God, is totally due to divine leading. This was especially important in this instance. Peter had already shown his own hesitancy to reach out to the Gentiles. More conservative elements in Jerusalem would be even more reticent. Only an undeniable demonstration of divine power could overrule all objections, and God provided precisely that in Cornelius' house. So in that moment, it was especially important for Peter and the other witnesses to see that God is saving Gentiles in the same radical way that he's saving the Jews. And let me just give you some encouragement. Because oftentimes in this culture, it seems like we take one step forward and then the enemy pushes us two steps back. Sometimes it's hard to believe that God is still in control. But let me tell you, God is in control. When God determines to do a thing, nothing will stand in his way. Not Satan or his demons or a dictator, or a king, or a queen, or a government. Folks, we serve a God who raises the dead back to life. We serve a God who created this world and everything in it. We serve a God who did the impossible, who took a sinner such as I and washed me clean. We serve a God who one day is going to return and take us home to be with him in heaven. We serve a God who made you and I to be born again so that when he looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of Christ within us. We serve a God who raises the dead back to life. And so what that God asks us to do, he will give us the power to do. He will give us the authority to do. And what that God desires to do in your life, he will bring to fulfillment. What should we do with that message? What should we do with Peter's boldness to share the gospel and Cornelius and his household's willingness to repent and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Well, perhaps today you need to be saved. Maybe you're a person who's come into this place today and thought, I'm too far away from God. There's no way I can be forgiven by Jesus and, and be saved. And you've learned, if Bernard Nathanson can be saved, so can you. And if he were alive today, I'm sure he would say that. 
You're never too far away from God to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. In a minute, all of us are going to stand. I'm going to invite our team to come to the front. And we're going to have a time of invitation. If you've never been here for this, we're all going to stand and sing a song. And it gives you an opportunity to respond to what God's doing in your heart.